This is Jennifer Pepito with the Restoration Home Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the peaceful path to connected families and restored communities. Today, I'm excited to be talking to Emily Pepito. This is the first episode of the year, and we're going to kind of revisit some of the reasons why this subject, why, why restoration. I have a book coming out this year called Habits for a Sacred Home, and it's all about habits that we can implement in our homes to create a more peaceful atmosphere and to help our children experience the presence of God and experience his love and his peace as they're growing. And part of the reason I wrote this book is I was feeling a little bit unsettled about the world. There is so much crazy news all the time. And I was probably reading too much news, honestly, but I was a little bit scared. And then I read about a concept called, it was a book called The Benedict Option by Rod Dreher. And in the book, he just talked about how St. Benedict also lived through a crazy time in history, but he implemented some spiritual practices that saved civilization and created a refuge for people to thrive and grow. And I thought, wow, what a concept that maybe we can't, um, you know, build a million dollar bunker like they say people are building in Hawaii, or maybe we can't guarantee that we'll be raptured out in the, in the case of problems. But here are people in history who also lived through hard times. And this is what they did. They continued doing the right things that Christians for the ages have done. What what are some of the things that you have noticed, Emily, about culture and kind of the need for restoration? One of the things that has really been on my heart in the last couple of years is just that the there's such a divide now. Um, and I think that that divisiveness is so such a sign that we are living in in times of like kind of turmoil and also times of times where the present where we need the presence of God. Like there's been times maybe where it's been a little bit softer. Like I remember even like 2014, like there was just, it felt like everywhere you looked, there was good people. Um, and people who were maybe not even Christian, but who were desiring to do good. And it's mind blowing to me, but I think in, in less than a decade, we've, we've seen a shift where where there has been a a rewriting of what is good and what is evil and what is right and what is wrong. And I think we're seeing it with our youth. We're seeing it in um, marriages, even like the, what feels like the explosion of divorces. And I, I understand there's reasons sometimes for divorce, but so often I think there is a spiritual atmosphere that's leading to them or even just a, a general sort of social attitude that's actually infecting our decision to stay married or not stay married more than we might realize. And I've, I've studied the subconscious sort of in a very recreational way for a while now, but the effect of what's happening around us on our subconscious, apart from my belief in the fact that there's, that we live in a spiritual world and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, principalities and powers, um, it led me to believe that a lot of what we're seeing now in terms of, um, personal choice and the desecration of marriage and um, the falling apart of of families and and even a lot of what I would consider actions that are so far from the heart of God for our youth and and the rising rate of suicide like that alone is a sign that we're living in a time of kind of kind of great despair and it's not 
it's not something that I am hopeless about, but I think it's something that I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't go get my daily coffee and I can't, I can't just live my life right now as if it's 2014, which is kind of a joke because obviously 2014 is only 10 years ago, but there's, I feel like there's this urgency now just in this, this really, um, kind of critical divide between people who love righteousness and people who don't, that is to me cause for restoration. Yeah. I, I love that you brought that up because it did feel, you know, I don't know what all was going on, but it felt before COVID that there was way more that we had in common with unbelievers than not. Do you know what I mean? That there was way more that we had in common, even politically, you know, I, um, I would lean towards smaller government. I would lean definitely towards protecting the unborn, but I also, I'm not a fan of war. Um, I'm not a fan of the military industrial complex. I'm not a fan of corporate farming. So there's, so there's a lot of things that I could have had in common with people on both sides of the political divide in some sense a few years ago. And yet it felt like COVID really was very divisive in a lot of ways, you know, People on one side felt like if you didn't get the vaccine, you were trying to kill them. People on the other side felt like being forced to get the vaccine was trying to kill them. So there's all this intensity of emotion that the the actions, and really a lot of it was not accidental. Do you know what I mean? A lot of it was meant to divide in some sense. And so we're having to navigate this. It's a really a new world in a lot of ways. It's It's not the same world that our parents parented their children in or even that like you grew up in, it's a different world. And, and I, you know, I have so many friends right now who are struggling with um, young adult sons who are really having a problem, having a hard time getting on their feet They're They probably are a little bit depressed about the world. And, you know, there's that saying, it says, um, strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make hard times, hard times make strong men. And it feels like we're in you know, close to the hard times cycle that. And I know that's a laugh because we still have, you know, food to eat. It might cost double what it did a couple of years ago, but we still have food to eat. We still have a roof over our heads. We, we still have hot and cold running water, like so many luxuries that many people in the world don't experience, but it does feel like we're on a collision course with hard times. And so knowing some of this, like being, you know, we're, you're, you're, you're studying for decentralized finance. So you're studying a lot of world events. Um, we're, you know, in our family, there's a lot of discussion and, and research and ideas floating around. And so we're not ignorant to the fact that, you know, there's, there's talk of the dollar being degraded, or there's all these kind of big talks that could have a big effect. And it's hard to know what to do. And so that was when this concept of, oh, I mean, St. Benedict, Elizabeth Elliot, Sabina Wormbrand, Amy Carmichael, all of them lived in hard times. They lived through um, real, real struggles. And yet they just kept doing the spiritual disciplines that the monasteries have been doing for a thousand years. They kept praying. They kept reading their Bibles. They kept a small circle of, of knowledge in some sense. And there's a verse in the Bible that says, I would have you be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And I think there is something to be said for knowing a little bit less and then focusing on the good that we can do. And that's why this year in the Restoration Home community, I'm so excited to be leading moms through a year of 
of just habit building of spiritual disciplines, because we may not be able to, you know, go change public policy or, or make sure that people who are coming into the country have, have good motives, or we may not be able to, um, help people understand that communism's a road to hell. You know, we, we may not be able to make big changes in the world, but we can make changes in our own homes. We can track our time and make sure that we're, we're getting the basics done. We can look our children in the eyes and tell them that there's hope for the world. We can eat dinner around the table. And, you know, even, even just that one action has all kinds of proven benefits, like children who eat dinner with their families are less likely to be drug addicts and children who eat dinner with their families are less likely to be obese. Like all kinds of social ills can be prevented just by eating dinner around the table with your family. And so that's what we're doing in the Restoration Home community this year. We are one month at a time, one spiritual discipline at a time, whether it's prayer or order or hospitality or work, we're tackling some of those kind of basic life skills in a way that without accountability, without community are so hard to stick consistently to. This is very true. And I think kind of back to the concept of, you said a couple things earlier on and talking about restoration of society, basically like we're looking at our world and you might say, oh, well, like we have really good, like we still have, like you're saying, the hot and cold running water and all of these things that make our lives incredibly comfortable. Um, especially when you compare it to so much of the world today. Um, but I think one of the greatest, like I'm, if you look at history and you read stories of Christians across history, when things were going bad was when they had such a presence of God. And when we see God coming through and we see um, this, just this, the, the manifold blessings of his of his provision of his presence of his goodness and i i don't think as christians we should in any way be concerned about the hard times what i'm really concerned about in the west is because everyone has this idea of like oh well first world problems like if they're like complaining about something like well oh, that's a first world problem like i have it so well and i'm in agreement with them you do have it so well but the level of distraction, and so if, if I as a Christian, if my primary goal is the sanctification of, of being like Christ, of, of dwelling in his presence, of enjoying him, and of practicing his presence um, so that I am a, a candle or a light set on a hill so that all might see the goodness and the greatness of God, and if that's who I'm supposed to be, then the, the process of the disintegration of my soul and the disunity of my mind from being dwelt in Christ and dwelling in him because of distractions, because of believing lies about about who he is, about believing lies about what is righteous and what is unrighteous and and all these things. That that to me is like the only thing I can really control and it's where all restoration has to start. And so it, it is a very real Western problem that I don't think much of the developing world has and that we are so distractible and we are so consumed. Like I, I love beauty. I, I love going on Instagram and, and I follow this person. She does habits and it's really affluent based habits. Like the kind of habits that you're not going to really worry about if you were starving, for instance, but I love the beauty of it. I love the rhythm and the ritual of it. Also at the same time, that beauty only really matters when it stems from a heart that's, that is so centered in Christ. 
And so I think this this restoration that needs to come needs to be this this wholehearted transformation of our hearts and minds back to the Father and and letting go of so much of what we um, have kind of let become more important than His presence. And the other thing that's really interesting to me in this this process of restoration that I'm I'm so excited about is I grew up in the '90s, which was kind of a Almost a, almost a similar time. It was very different, but Y2K, everyone thought the world was going to end. Like everyone thought Y2K, you know, the, the internet was going to go down and, and everyone was buying property. Like we ate beans and corn from Y2K way into like, you know, the 2000s. And, and so there was a similar fear. And what really I think mattered at the end of that time wasn't what was happening on the outside, but how we are choosing to respond in our hearts and what what ideas and what beliefs we are allowing to shape us. And also in that time period, there was such a reaction among a lot of Christians of like holiness without heart change. And it was all about, okay, we need restoration, but restoration means looking good. And I think that trap is so easy to fall into of we must restore and we must be, we can't be like them. It's always this, I can't be like them, can't be like them. And, and that's not, if you are, if you are positioning yourself to be different than, that's not restoration. That's, that is just contradiction or opposition. And so I think with the, with the restoration home, again, I, I cannot emphasize it enough. This is about, this is about restoring our hearts. This is about restoring our relationship with the father. This is about restoring joy. This is about restoring thankfulness. This is about restoring just fearless living in the face of whatever comes our way, whether it's you know, children that don't behave, whether it's a husband that, you know, isn't on the same page as us, whether it's, you know, our, our dreams not going the way we think they're going to go, whatever it is, this, this wholehearted, fierce joy, because we've restored our relationship with the father. Yeah. And I think, you know, really when we're in that place, like I, I remember one preacher said, if we pay more attention to news of the world than the word of God, our discouragement is self-inflicted. And I think that's so true. You know, it's easy to get, kind of down these rabbit holes or get our focus off of where it should be. But if we're in a close relationship with the Lord, he'll lead us in that next step. You know, you look at how many amazing people like Sabina Wormbrand, for instance, survived communism. Like she was in prison. They did not have enough food and yet they still survived to speak of the goodness of God and to tell of the wonders of his love. And so I think that we don't have to be projecting out into the future and worried about the future and what's going to happen in 2024. And, you know, it's an election year and we don't have to be worried about it because we can just focus our eyes and our minds on the goodness of God. And that's going to do so much in our parenting. Cause I know most of your parents, you want to raise children who love you and who love God. But if you are always a scared, unhappy, sad person, it's going to be hard for your kids to get excited about your worldview and your values. And I know that, you know, I wrote about it in Mothering by the Book. So many of my fears were for my children and for their their best interests. Like I was worried they weren't getting enough attention. I was worried they that their life wasn't fun enough in Mexico. You know, I had all these fears for my children, but it caused me to disconnect from them. And that's what we really don't want is we don't want to see moms who are caring for their children, concerned for their children, and yet in their concern disconnecting from them and in so doing, creating an atmosphere that is uh, distant or cold or or without hope. You know, our children need hope. And I think that, you know, there's a few things that I think are in some ways at the 
at the root of a lot of what's going on. I mean, partly there's a lot of unforgiveness in the world. There's the, the, the ideal of unforgiveness has been elevated to a virtue almost the ideal of holding a record of wrongs of identifying as a victim and saying that other people owe you that's almost been elevated into an ideal and it's destructive. It's, you know, bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping your enemy will die. It never produces any good fruit. And so I think, you know, as a culture, just learning how to be really, really zealous about forgiveness, about letting go of little hurts. And, and this isn't necessarily, you know, part of the curriculum for the year, but it's something that I, I bring up often because if we hold on to a record of wrongs of our husband, our children, the world at large, our parents, our siblings, whatever it is, if we hold on to a record of wrongs, we're just bringing destruction to our own life. We're sowing, we're sowing seeds of separation and division. And that's not what we want. And obviously there may be a time where you have to not be in community with somebody who has stolen from you and is not repentant or someone who ha- who is continually abusive and not repentant. But I think that checking our own hearts that we continually release that person to God and let God be the, um, be the judge really is one of the best things we can do to work towards restoration homes because it releases up to us to be hopeful and present instead of identifying as someone who has no authority. Totally. And I think the other thing I, I always want to add is in this, in this path of restoration, like I think we both, mom and I are both highly idealistic and I get so excited about big picture and I get so excited about looking at what is possible down the road. But right now for me, my restoration looks like trying to figure out why, um, trying to figure out kind of like what, what lies I'm believing that are causing me to maybe choose to watch a TV show when I would be better served by sleeping or resting or, you know, working or anything else. And so it's like, it can, the, this path of restoration also isn't this, this huge thing. It's just that it's those daily small choices to choose the presence of God or, or choose, um, to do what is less comfortable, but better for us, like going to sleep at a reasonable time or turning Twitter off or, you know, not doing a little bit more online shopping in the evening or whatever it is where you're like, oh, this, this very small thing is kind of sucking some joy, some life or some rest out of my life. Um, that's what restoration is. It's, it's these really small, consistent choices that we make. Yeah. So good. And, you know, that is what we're working on this year is I just started an email series for families called two weeks to a happier home. And, uh, we'll include the link to sign up for that because there are just some really easy steps that we can take to create a more peaceful home. It's not just this airy up in the sky, idealistic vision. There are actual things we can do. We can begin to have a vision, you know, partly, We just need to have a vision of how we could be, of how our home could be, how our children could experience us and remember us. And, you know, that is one of the things in my new book is I, I highlight these Christian women who really did, they were heroes. They, they kept a restoration home. They kept a sacred home in the midst of turmoil. And so having a vision, having uh, some ideals of who you want to be and what you want your children to remember is a really important first step. And in that email series, I also talk about, you know, tracking your time and taking some time to reflect. I think often, especially in a new year, people get really excited about better habits and 
uh, goals and dreams and New Year's resolutions. And then as soon as they have a bad day, they throw it all out the window. But what I talk about in this email series is instead of throwing it all out the window, just take some time to reflect, you know, understand like what was underneath me overreacting or why, why did my children have a hard time listening to me that day? What was going on? Take a little bit of time to think about it, to maybe pray about it, to maybe ask the Lord to forgive you for the way that you reacted or even forgive yourself. I think sometimes it's much easier to accept that God forgives us than it is to actually forgive ourselves. And so, you know, take some time, just release all that. Maybe you need to forgive your child. I think often we, when we have a child who is struggling, you know, whether they have a sensory issue or it's just a a season in their life where they're going through some growing pains, it's easy for us to get resentful towards a child and then parent them the next day with a little bit of a bitter edge. And so it's really important as you're working towards a more peaceful home, towards a restoration home, to take time to forgive whoever it is who has stepped on you and, you know, take some time to reflect on why things didn't go well, why things didn't go according to your ideal. And then, and then start going again, start a morning routine. So in that two week email series, there's several different tips for just creating a more peaceful life. And then also the restoration home community is open now. It's only going to be open for a little window because what we're doing is we're reading my new book, Habits for a Sacred Home Together. It doesn't release until May, but my publishers have given me permission to release it to a small number of people who are going to be able to read along with us this year. Each month, we're reading a chapter of the book. We're working on the habits that are kind of highlighted in that chapter. And then in October, we're going to be gathering in Tennessee to have a retreat with the Restoration Home community, the moms who have been in this group and have been growing in their habits together. So it's a really sweet opportunity to learn and grow together. It's such a reasonable price for the community. It's only $89 for the year. And we've even kept the retreat really reasonably priced so that moms who are one income families can make it. So you can sign up at the link that we'll include in the show notes. Like I said, it's a limited amount of people who can come, limited number of people who can join the community. So if you want to be one of those people, click the link and join us. We'd love to help you be accountable to your own vision ideals for a more peaceful life this year. 